The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Squawk Box. Let's kick off with a market headline. The Nasdaq notches up a fresh record high as tech stocks start the week strong. But Asian market strugglers' concerns mount over the Delta variant. Facebook joining the trillion dollar club shares in the social media giant surge as a US judge throws out antitrust suits from the Federal Trade Commission and 48 states. Uh, a dividend deluge. US lenders announcing an extra $2 billion in quarterly payouts after the Fed clears the way for banks to return more capital to shareholders. And ECB hawks openly raise the prospect of winding back emergency measures. This as inflationary pressures just creeping higher. But the Vice President Luis de Guindos tells CNBC they will not suddenly slam the brakes on its asset purchases. We should try to avoid uh, cliff, uh, cliff edge effects, something that is uh, quite relevant. I think that we should uh, we should uh, try to, to do it as smoothly as possible and always take into consideration the, the, the evolution of the economy. And the SoftBank-backed Ding Dong cuts its IPO target by over 70% as the Chinese grocery app prepares to go public in the United States. Morning, everybody. Right, there's a lot in those headlines. I thought it was absolutely fascinating that in the same breath we're talking about some markets, well, actually, Jeffrey was, some markets hitting record highs once again at the same time when we still have a pandemic raging around the world. Now, about this time last year, I was probably saying to you, in fact, I know I was saying to you, we can only move on economically. We can only move on and see what the true situation with corporates is if and when we have defeated the pandemic and COVID-19. Well, I was wrong, wasn't I? Because some markets, some stocks, some companies, some asset classes have gone soaring ahead way before the pandemic has been defeated. Now, it's all very well talking about uh, vaccination levels in the United Kingdom or in the United States or, or in the EU where it's catching up. But when you've got Australia going back into uh, a mostly lockdown situation, when you've got tens of thousands uh, of hospitalizations and infections going around the world on a daily basis, the pandemic hasn't been beaten. And there is a line out there from the likes of the WHO that until everyone has conquered COVID-19, we can't have some of us saying that there is a, a victory to be declared as well. But having said that, some of these markets are blithely unaware of that scenario. For instance, yesterday, the financials having a great run up. We saw the tech stocks having a great run up. We saw semiconductors having a great run up as well. In fact, let's have a look at some of the, the technology names because the subsector was up 1.1% as well. Uh, we talked about Facebook in the headlines as well, uh, getting a real boost. Did you see the judgment from the judge about what the, uh, the, the various states, uh, and I think it was the FTC, uh, trying to put before uh, the judge in terms of the, the monopolistic argument. Well, the judge just said, this is just, just, you're not quantifying where you get your numbers from as well. It was quite scathing as well. They can come back, and they probably will come back as well on this one as well. But for the meantime, Facebook, uh, as we saw in the headlines, joining the trillion dollar club. What is interesting as well is, guess what, everybody? We've almost done six months of this year. 
I, for one, find that quite staggering because this was the year we were supposed to reopen. It was all going to go great. And yet the UK, for instance, we're still in some form of lockdown here in the UK, albeit with many more freedoms than we had at the start of the year. But yeah, we've nearly done six months of this year as well, which means I'm beginning to look at quarter end and year half year stuff as well. Very interesting, despite all the talk of rotation uh, and there has been some rotation to, for instance, the oil stocks and, and the oil market has gone gangbusters in the first half of the year. Look at this. The Nasdaq so far, I think, in the last quarter is up 9.5% as opposed to in the last quarter, the DAX, for instance, down uh, up to 3.6 and the CAC down 2.7. So again, all that talk of rotation to European stocks and value stocks as well. Well, quite frankly, some of those growth stocks are absolutely wiping the floor with some of the alternatives already this year. Let's move on and have a look at the Asian indices. Anyway, where are we? We're on the Nikkei down nine tenths. In fact, look at that, nine tenths of a percent down for the Hang Seng, the Shanghai Composite and the Nikkei. The ASX, and again, we talked about the Australian domestic COVID situation, which is a little bit worrying for Scott Morrison and the team there. Uh, but we're still only down two tenths of one percent on the ASX 200. Opening calls for European markets. Well, yesterday's performance was... Uh, uninspiring in many ways. The DAX was down three tenths of a percent. The CAC lost a percent yesterday as well. As far as today is concerned, London stocks called unchanged, as indeed they are in Paris and Frankfurt. The FTSE MIB showing a minor incline at the start of trading. Right, I mentioned the Facebook story. Let's get some more detail with Karen. Good morning, Karen. Okay, well, Karen seems to have an issue with her camera, so let me pick up from here. Shares in Facebook rising over 4% after a federal judge threw out two different antitrust cases brought against the social media group. The FTC, or the Federal Trade Commission, had branded Facebook a monopoly, a claim the court said the FTC did not approve. A similar case brought by 48 state attorneys general was also dismissed. The rulings helped the social media giant's market capitalization soar above $1 trillion dollars for the first time. The U.S. Justice Department has increased its scrutiny of Google's digital ad business in recent months. According to Bloomberg, officials are reportedly interviewing several competitors to the search engine looking to build up a case against the tech giant. The probe into the search engine's business was started under President Trump, while the DOJ has already issued one lawsuit against Google for abusing its power in internet search. Look, I'll just caveat what I'm going to say here with the comment that I don't think the market cares, right? Um, if we look at the performance of the technology stocks in the last two years, just to narrow it down to a sort of 18-month window when we know that we've been grappling with COVID, growth stocks have attracted a lot of the flow of new money that's gone into the market, particularly from the retail investor. And so I'm not sure actually the market is that bothered about these stories. But what is clear, as we know, is that this is maybe just one engagement, but it is not the end of the war. The Biden administration has proven itself incredibly keen to take these businesses to the courts over antitrust issues. Um, we know that Facebook has 
questions to answer all around the world. It's not just this FTC case where Judge James Boesberg um, obviously didn't feel that the case had been made. Um, you just have to put in Facebook and legal issue, Facebook and legal issues, and you can see that there's an ongoing simmering row in Australia still over the access it's providing to publishers and the deals it's prepared to sign. And the antitrust watchdog there is having a good look at this story. And we know that Google is next up on the court steps because of this ongoing investigation into the ads business, the mm. digital ads business. Yeah. So there's an awful lot of focus on how we take money out of the tech stocks through the litigation process, or rather how the US administration does at this stage. But at the moment, Back to my original point, I don't think the investors care. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And look at every time we've had the, one of those EU court rulings and against Google or whatever, uh, the market's just brushed it aside every single time as well. There is one tech company we should probably be very wary of from the upside, though, and maybe look at the downside. And I don't know who it is, but it's the provider of the broadband service for Karen Cho. Good morning, Karen, again. <laughs> Good morning, Steve. I think that's a good point, isn't it, when it comes to Wi-Fi in London? But I just want to wade in on this broader point around antitrust because this was about whether we had to potentially break up the likes of WhatsApp and Instagram from Facebook, and that would have had a monumental impact of the size of this social media company. Where do we go next from here? Well, the onus from the judge seemed to be on the FTC, on the regulators, to prove that there was an antitrust case here, and they just felt that they didn't have enough proof, despite uh, this claim of very large market size of, what, six on percent in social media so is it just a warning for the regulator to get up to speed if you're going to go after some of these technology companies is that the starting point and is there more to come down the track in terms of a, a rival case the other point is that if you look at the legislation, we were talking about a handful of bills that were brought before Congress the other week to try and tighten the noose around these big companies. And one of them included mergers. And this uh, was uh, very much around a bill that would refrain from any merger unless a company can show that the acquired company does not compete with any product or service that the platform is in. Well, let's face it, if you take a look at Facebook and Instagram, they operate in a very similar uh, part of the world, very similar part of the social media universe. So you'd have to say if the new bill was introduced that there would be question marks around whether a deal like that could happen in future, whether anything retrospective would happen is a question. But just circling back to the point around some of the regulatory concerns, I think the fact that the stock unlocked further gains tells you that there is some caution around regulation. But to Jeff's point, it's very hard to tell exactly what that discount is in the market and, and what the pricing should be. When it comes to Facebook and some the other social media platforms, I would also say it's not necessarily just antitrust. It is also the handling of data, the privacy concerns that have existed for a long term. And of course, the, the fear that uh, conservative voices are being stifled on the platform. That's where lawmakers have some of their greatest concerns, not necessarily around antitrust for this particular business. It uh, really circles around the likes of Amazon and Google when we talk about antitrust and perhaps even Apple these days after that Epic Games fight. Um, Karen, let me pick up here. I think we'll park the conversation around the growth stocks for, for the moment, but we may bring this back with uh, our, our guest coming up in just a moment that I know you're going to bring into the conversation. But uh, let me just uh, tell our audience about some remarks attributed to the US Secretary of State, Antony Blinken. This is from an interview with La Repubblica. You remember the Secretary of State is doing a mini European tour at the moment. So the comments, uh, we've got something on China here. The US 
Secretary of State says China is, quote, complicated when it comes to relations. Uh, we're not asking anyone to choose between China and the United States. It's an interesting line, but I'm not sure that's necessarily how it feels in Europe at the moment. Uh, the U.S. Secretary of State also says the U.S. hopes to have with Russia, quote, a more stable and profitable relationship. Uh, this being carried by La Repubblica this morning. Uh, the U.S. Secretary of State has asked Russia to stop cyber attacks. If Russia continues with the attacks, intrusions into politics, uh, then we will respond. That is a direct quote attributed to uh, the U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, this morning. Karen. Jeff, thanks very much. Uh, let's come back to some of the market action that we witnessed and just how we're setting up for the trade uh, ahead of the Wall Street session today. The Dow, which was down yesterday, has been looking a little bit flat this morning on some of those futures as well. But after fresh records on the S&P 500 and also the Nasdaq, you can see that uh, it looks a little bit soggy in the early hours action at this stage. Let's get some market thoughts with David Newhauser, who is the CIO at Livermore Partners. David, welcome back to the program. Great to have you with us. I want to pick up on your comment that we are in the middle of the storm at this stage. And I think storm watchers or storm chasers know the eye of the storm can be an unnatural calm. And when you start to emerge, there can be havoc all around you. Why do you think we're in the middle of the storm when it comes to markets? Yeah, so good morning, guys. I mean, I think if you look at the markets today, I mean, it, it it spells of you know a dysfunctional market right where we have extremely low yields and yet very high levels of inflation and i think a lot of that is just the the reopening effort that's happening globally for the past several months and as you're seeing that uh growth occur you know markets have been building that in for some time to come there has been an idea out there in the markets that the fed will let inflation run a little bit hot it will see its way through some of these data points but in recent weeks, even some of the data and some of the pricing pressures are starting to roll over. I mean, lumber, timber prices, that's one example. There's a feeling that even with the data points we've seen, we may have gone some of the peak momentum on these pandemic trends and then add into this a slightly more hawkish than many have uh, expected from the, the Fed, that view that's just started to tilt in recent weeks. Doesn't that mean this whole reflation story and concerns of a red hot uh, pricing pressure environment has started to abate? No, no. So I, I don't think so, Karen. I mean, I think the way you have to look at is that, you know, prices have moved pretty, uh, you know, pretty strongly here in the past uh, year. So you said, you know, you look at things like lumber, you look at things like oil. I mean, a lot of these things have been, you know, they're off their highs, but they're still very elevated. So, you know, inflation is still live and it's it's front and center. And I think the dynamics at play are that the view is that the Fed sort of uh, is in front of it and that they're gonna head off any type of uh, hyperinflation that's gonna come through due to increasing the short end of the yield curve. And you've seen the yield curve flatten since those Fed comments, and thus you've seen you know, these growth equities, like you mentioned, Facebook and others, you know, have gone to, to new record highs. And I think what they're forgetting is that you know, inflation, you can't just put back into the bottle. You know, our belief, of course, at Livermore is it's not transitory, and thus it's gonna be here for some time to come. And there's a number of factors that are leading into that that are sustainable. So what ultimately will the Fed be able to do? And I think ultimately they're gonna to have to take their foot you know, off that accelerator, put it on the brake, and that, you know, that's gonna have a, a really negative effect to, to markets, especially high, high price, high growth tech stocks.
Um, David, good morning. We're running a strap on uh, on what you were just saying, saying the Fed is in a debt trap. So when will this debt trap actually actually matter? Because they're not the only ones in a debt trap. There's many, many economies around the world, including uh, actually CNBC, I think, have got a piece on the Chinese debt levels as well. Uh, huge debt to GDP ratios when you look at the entire economy and private and public sector as well. When do debt traps matter? I mean, presumably when, when yields pick up and interest rates pick up. But again, is that going to happen anytime soon? Yeah, so so that's the that's the great you know the big question, uh, Steve, is that you know when does that happen? I think people are looking and like I said, they're focusing on sort of the reopening trade and and the growth aspects of all of the you know seven trillion dollar in stimulus that has gone on, and you've seen that bled into the system with retail sales, with housing, and in the like. The the real question comes in is you know when does that start uh, you know when does that start to wane? When do you start seeing that kind of come off the curve and you see you know sales start to dissipate and you know you talked about infrastructure bills and other aspects they're trying to look at stimulus on the flip side you look towards say later this year you start talking about increasing capital gains you start talking about uh increasing taxes and i think the, the you know the narrative then will start to shift more into what does this economy look like without the monetary and fiscal stimulus that we've seen in the past you know 12 to 18 months what occurs in 2022 what occurs in 2023 and I think, as you said, you know, the Fed's going to be in a trap, a debt trap, where rates will have to increase. And I think depending on where you see yields, right? I mean, if you think yields are one and one and a half, I think you should be in stocks. I think if you think yields are ultimately going to be at, you know, 1.9 or above, you know, that's where I think it gets a real, you know, pretty dicey in terms of valuation. I think the real key you look at is one, you look at the five-year, I think a five-year over, say, uh, 100 basis points starts to get extremely dicey. And then, of course, the 10-year, you know, somewhere around, you know, two and a half or above gets really dicey. So I think you look at inflation and you look at what the Fed uh, does uh, uh, for that. And I think that will ultimately determine where markets, you know, direction takes us. And I think ultimately that's going to, you know, looks to be down. David, I mean, you, you worry about junk at 3.7. I worry about triple B, which in a less kind environment might also be junk at 2.3 as well. When do people remember that this stuff isn't liquid and you can't just get out of it? It's not a liquid product like uh, equities or, dare I say, other forms of asset classes. Once people get stuck in this stuff, and if we do see a pickup in yields, there's a big problem there, isn't it? Is it going to be the traditional canary in the coal mine? Yeah, I look, I think I think it could ultimately become a, a massive problem. Like, you know, we pointed out, you know, junk bonds yielded 3.78%, you know, all-time lows. Uh, like you said, other aspects, the triple Bs, where they're at. It shows you that the market is extremely complacent, right? They believe that this, you know, the that the duration you're seeing of some of these uh, bonds are just going to continue to have yo low yields and negative uh increase in yields. And I think ultimately all you have to do is see, you know, some, uh, you know, some uh, stair step to that that's going to start to unwind. And I think as that occurs, it goes back to what you said. It's all about liquidity. And if liquidity from the Fed's point of view is starting to get pulled out of the system, what ultimately happens to some of those bonds? What happens to some of these high price equities? So, you know, we're trying to focus at our hedge fund on 
as we always said, the hard assets, right? The commodities, the oil, the metals, the silver, gold, companies that generate, you know, free cash flow that, you know, it's been higher probably in the past 10 or 20 years. So why wouldn't you be invested in those names like Livermore instead of just trying to squeeze out sort of the extra juice in some of these high value, high growth stocks, which I think ultimately, like I said, are unsustainable fraud. Yeah, the trouble is, uh, David, a lot of people won't be listening to you because they'll be doing what I'm doing. And I'm I'm looking at the chart here and I'm saying, well, why has gold rolled over? Why is gold uh, 1,700 and something rather than 1,900 and something uh, at this point? Um, Does that tell me that I've actually missed my window of opportunity to ride these commodities on the back of the inflation fears? No, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, Jeff. And the, the reason why I don't think that is because, again, I think depending on, again, the commodity, I mean, I think if you look at things like oil, you know, the issue there is, you know, banks aren't lending, right? If you look at oil, of course, we have the whole climate issue. So, so you know, you're, you're seeing this deficit occur as demand increases and the shift to uh, obviously cleaner emissions. And I think when you look to things like gold, Again, you, you haven't seen uh, a mine where you've seen, you know, two million plus ounces being discovered anytime recently. So you're, you're going to see less of that. And, and demand still is actually very good for gold. So I think, you know, when you look at gold, when you look at oil, when you look at even copper, especially with the deficits that are building there, I mean, it's just going to take some time is what I'm trying to say. It's going to take a few years to go by. So it's not a, a one month or two month or three month trade. You know, you really have to look at this from, like I've, I've mentioned before, more of a structural shift, uh, more of a dynamic that's occurring over time. And I still think commodities are in a new bull cycle. It's interesting. We spoke to uh, Polyus recently, the, uh, the Russian uh, miner. And what was notable, I think, is just how much costs have risen in that sector. This is a story we've seen play out in the past, David. Do we need to worry about if we buy the miners, we are also buying into weaker margin, perhaps some headwinds on the underlying metals, but also the consequences of this inflationary pressure on the, on the margin, ultimately, and the cost side of the business. Well, I think typically what you see is, you know, you do see that, right? I mean, that happened to, uh, you know, with, with gold companies with oil prices rising and their energy demands. So I think, you know, you're going to see some of those costs rise, whether it be through steel or, or energy, of course. But ultimately, you have to remember that, you know, as those input costs rise, you know, you might get some margin squeeze in the near term. But I think ultimately you're going to, you know, the miners you want to focus on are the ones that have a very low, you know, ASIC, all in sustainable costs and also a high, uh, uh, high grade output, obviously, on the gold. And that's where, again, Livermore is focused on those sort of smaller cap companies in, in the space like gold and silver that have these sort of highly dynamic mines that have a low ASIC and therefore their margins are very strong, right? And therefore their profitability is going to be very strong. And you try to get them in an earlier stage in the cycle. So, you know, com- countries like Russia and other areas have a lot of these mines. And I think personally, I think, you know, given valuation, they're much more attractive today than the U.S. And, and that's why, again, as we've discussed in the past, you know, like Livermore is focused a lot on international equities because a lot of the focus on, on commodities and, and other financials as well. So there, there's a lot of running room ahead is what I'm trying to say. 
David, always good to see you. Thanks for helping us out this morning. David Newhouse, the CIO of Livermore Partners. Um, let's switch focus. Major U.S. banks have unveiled fresh payout strategies after passing the Fed's latest stress tests. Morgan Stanley announced a new $12 billion share buyback program while also doubling its quarterly dividend to $0.70 cents per share. Shares up in extended trade. Wells Fargo also de- detailing a share repurchase plan worth $18 billion while raising its dividend. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America and Goldman Sachs also boosted their payout. Citigroup was the only major American lender to refrain from lifting its dividend. Uh, We're going to talk more about the financial plumbing when we come back. Uh, Luis de Guindos hits back at calls from the Hawks in Frankfurt for the ECB to consider winding back its asset purchases. More on that when we come back. And for more on the Nasdaq's new highs and Facebook's $1 trillion status, check out the Squawk Box podcast. It's a winner. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. To the latest news now around Miami, and another body has been recovered from the collapsed condominium tower in Florida, bringing the total fatalities to 11. With 150 people still missing as rescuers continue to search the rubble, the calamity could become one of the deadliest accidental structural failures in U.S. history. In Rome, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi to discuss the pandemic, climate change and the crisis in Libya. The two reportedly emphasised the importance of renewing U.S.-EU ties. Blinken also met with Italian Foreign Minister Luigi Di Maio ahead of the G20 summit in the country. The U.S. has previously criticised Italy's decision to sign up to China's Belt and Road infrastructure plan. However, following the meeting, De Mayo insisted his country's relationship with China, quote, is absolutely not comparable and does not interfere with our alliance of values with the United States. The European Central Bank is split over how and when it should unwind its emergency bond buying. Bundesbank President Jens Weidmann has become the first policymaker to urge central bankers to reduce the scheme, warning of inflationary risks. Speaking at the Eurofinance Summit in Frankfurt, Weidmann called on the ECB to end its emergency stimulus as soon as the pandemic crisis ceases. Well, the ECB Vice President, Louis Mr. Gindos spoke to Annette at the conference. She asked him how he viewed the current trajectory of asset buying. PEP uh, is an exceptional program in order to address an exceptional problem. That was the pandemic. So when the pandemic is over, and once uh, you know the consequences, the economic consequences of the pandemic eh, start to fade away, uh, well, uh, PEP uh, will, will finalize. That was, uh, you know, the initial target and the initial aim of, uh, of PEP. Having said that, 
we have not uh, discussed uh, anything with respect to the transition because we have other 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 programs no we have our traditional PSPP program that is the one that was uh, you know incorporated in the in the in the past we have not discussed anything with respect to the to the transition but uh, you know my approach is very very simple i think that we should try to avoid uh, cliff uh, cliff edge effects it's something that is uh, quite relevant i think that we should uh, we should uh, try to to do it as smoothly as possible and always taking into consideration the, the, the evolution of the economy and the evolution of inflation. So it's going, we are going to be data dependent. But so far we have not discussed, uh, you know, the, the transition from PEP to PSPP is something that it will take place, uh, you know, in the, in the near future, I suppose. Uh, but uh, now it's a little bit premature. So yeah. I would be cautious with respect to any sort of comment on, on, on that. If you compare where the Eurozone is in, in, uh, yeah, what, where in comparison to where the United States are, it seems that there is a certain sense of decoupling taking place um, in the interest rate path. So would you say that in Europe, most likely the interest rate will stay a lot longer, lower than, for example, in the United States? Well, uh, uh, it's very clear that uh, you know the position in the business cycle of the U.S. is not comparable to the position in the business cycle of the of the of the of the European Union of the Euro area. So I think that uh, you know there are always there are you know connections and links and in, in between uh, Europe and the U.S. because the U.S. market is quite relevant for us. But uh, I think that we have our uh, you know own situation, own own position. Uh, let's see, uh, you know, how inflation evolves. Uh, you know perfectly that our approach is that inflation, uh, you know, is going to go up. It will go close to 3% at year end, but this is going to be, you know, uh, uh, the consequence of temporary factors and base effects that were very clear. We have to bear in mind that uh, 20, 2020 was a very, very strange year. You know, the pandemic modified a lot of things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, to use 2020 as a base of reference is something that can give rise to To, to, to misunderstandings, both in terms of inflation and in terms of growth. Because, well, you know, the decline, you know, the, the slump was so big that for sure that we are going to have a recovery. But I think that, uh, you know, the main reference uh, should be, you know, the end of uh, 2019 in terms of growth and uh, 2019 in terms of the evolution of prices. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.